Tonight's reading from the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight we have a guest preacher. Uh, his name is Remargo Yancey, who serves currently as an assistant pastor at Grace Meridian Hill, which is one of our sister congregations here in Washington, D.C. And, you know, I used to think the phrase or the idea, tender warrior, was thing of Disney and fairy uh, tales until I met this brother. He is built like a fullback and listens like a mother. Uh, it's just a unique combination of gifts. Um, he uh, went to Covenant Theological Seminary where he studied and got his MDiv and a degree in uh, counseling as well. And he practiced, uh, at basically his own, he had his own practice as a counselor for several years before coming and joining the team. He is married and they have three wonderful kids. If you ever see them, um, they're, they're great. Well, all kids are great uh, for the most part. Uh, right. You know my story. Uh, so why don't you come up, man? I, I want to pray for you, brother. And uh, excited to hear what God has uh, for us tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love for the church. Thank you, God, that you give us not only your word, but you give us people to bring the word to us. Mm -hmm. And we ask now that you would speak to us, breathe your life into our hearts, and give us faith to receive and respond in faith and obedience to you. Mm -hmm. We pray for your blessing upon Yancey, that you would free him, and that he would be able to bring your word 
uh, knowing that you're going to use him even now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate that. A linebacker, a fullback, and a mother. All right. So good to be with you tonight. You know, I've been anticipating uh, being with you guys for quite some time. I've uh, been in the area for a little over a year now. So tonight is a night we get to be together. And so I'm so grateful for that. You know, tonight's text, in, in looking at tonight's text, I just have a couple of questions as we get started here. You know, like, how do we deal with unlikely things that happen in our world filled with people? Can a love for others really be the basis for life? When do I show love without being taken advantage of? These are some real questions that we tend to have in life as we deal with people, as we're hurt by people, as even as we're healed by people. We still have this suspiciousness about how to care for one another and even how to be a neighbor towards one another. But God gives us hope. He empowers us in Jesus. And for those of you who believe in Jesus and, and are holding on unto him as he has called you, he gives us hope through him that we can be a neighbor like him, as highlighted in Luke 10, 25 through 37. So we will look at this passage tonight. But first, I, I kind of want to pray again, if you don't mind. I would like to pray, too. Father, I just want to thank you for allowing me to be here with my extended church family. I'm so grateful for the opportunity each time, Father, to open your word, and especially tonight, because this night, each night, we need you. We depend upon you. So speak into our hearts, O oh God, that we may be changed in you. Amen. Anna was 15 years old when the incident happened. When she turned the corner in her neighborhood, you could see her smile radiating about her as she walked home from school in her cheerleading outfit. She was alone and out of the corner of her, of her eye, she saw three older boys from the school coming towards her. They persisted in their plan to take, a, take her to an abandoned building in the neighborhood. And that day on the third floor of that building, they took advantage of her. In so many threatening ways, they made her comply to their wishes. Exhausted by being under the pressure of their demands, she passed out. Those boys didn't know what to do with her at that point, and they decided to throw her out of the window. On her way down to the ground, her arm caught one of the windows, her right arm did, and it tore some nerves, some major nerves. And when she fell to the ground, they decided to leave her for dead. You know, incidents like this and worse happen in our neighborhoods every day at the hands of people who have motives bent on self-gratification, self-justification, and quite frankly, evil intent. But we, don't, we know we don't have to go to such a gruesome extent as that example. There are subtleties as well that we play out in our lives that lead to the same selfish gratification, self-justification, and evil intent. So we know through that we're not perfect and left to ourselves, mercy towards one another is lacking 
It's lacking in our relationships. It's lacking in our marriages. It's lacking in our social events at times. It's lacking in our city. We grumble about what we do not have, and we seek to justify ourselves in order to have what we do not deserve. We feel entitled to it. All the while, we must see that our actions impact those around us. They impact our neighbors. They impact our communities, our neighborhoods, impact our worlds. So according to the passage we have before us, a neighbor is not just another person passing by. A neighbor is someone who has a standard of life that is based upon dignity, significance, and identity, because we are all made in the image of God, according to scripture. So we have these intrinsically in us. And with these, we, can, we have power. We have power to change our situations. We have power to change other situations. We have power to speak into other people's lives, don't we? Treating them with dignity and respect. In Luke 10, 25 through 37, we see the mercy of God as an example that we should follow. God is indeed merciful, and we know this. This, this passage, um, verses 25 through 37, you know, it's a backdrop to the mercy of, well, the mercy of God is a backdrop to this passage. You know, because that word mercy means God's loving kindness. In the Old Testament, it was throughout because it was about a, a covenant-keeping God who is steadfast and strong enough to save his people. So from Genesis to Revelation, we see God's acts of mercy. In the beginning, even, when Adam decided to sin against God, we see God coming and covering him, putting on new clothes for him, making the first sacrifice so that he can have those new clothes. God's kindness and concern for fallen humanity is expressed through his fatherly care throughout history. And it's demonstrated through his love, through Christ's death on the cross. God said to Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy in Exodus 33, 19. What was the situation there? Moses was asking God, will you go up in the land with us? Because if you do not go, oh God, I do not want to go. Will you show yourself to me? And of course, God could not show his face to Moses unless he die. So God decided to hide him in a cleft of a rock and show him his backside. Enough to know, to, to prove to, to Moses. God didn't have to, but that's the type of God that we serve. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to show us his great mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, characterizes it like this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You know, for a long time, I, I looked into God's 
grace and, and thought about it and thinking about how I don't deserve, you know, what God places in my life. But this idea of mercy, you know, God really holding back the punishment I deserve is something that gave me pause because I have to grapple with the fact that, yes, I am indeed sinner. And yes, I, I haven't treated my fellow man right. And so I want to go into this passage looking at three things here today. Looking at the, the word of neighborly love here. And also looking at the acts of neighborly love. And finally, I want us to look at the, the Lord of neighborly love. The word. And so here... Jesus is, you know, always amongst the crowd of people being challenged at times as this time. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What is written in the scriptures that you have before you? The Old Testament scriptures that they had during that day. How do you read it? Jesus asked him. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But still he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So we see in, in, the, in verse 25 here that immediately Luke brings our attention to the, the lawyer's motive. You know, he, he's meaning to trap Jesus. So this lawyer is someone who was steeped in the word of God, who knew it backwards and forward, spent time studying it. So he knew God's law. And so here he is trying to trap Jesus up. It's like to see, to go toe to toe with Jesus here. And in Deuteronomy 6, 16, the Israelites knew from Moses that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test because they did that one time in Massah. One, they needed water to drink. They said, why do you bring us out here, Moses? We were better in Egypt. Why are we out here? Our animals are going to die. Our kids are going to die. So they grumbled. And they tested God with their unbelief. So here, this lawyer stands up, standing upon the law, standing upon the righteousness of God, it seems, test Jesus. He doesn't know who is in front of him. He doesn't know this is God. So he puts Jesus to the test, committing grave error. So Jesus we see is merciful towards him. He interacts with him. He gives him a chance to speak of his own mind. But do you notice that question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Not a bad question at all. He's trying to figure, figure things out for himself, trying to figure out what would Jesus say? in terms of how we are to inherit eternal life. But Jesus put the question back to him, being the master teacher that he is. 
brings him back to the word of God to look at it, to examine it for himself. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. He was correct in answering this. And Jesus said, you want to live? Do these things. And we know that we fall short of God's law. We know that it's hard to keep, even for those who are in Christ. We know that we break it, even without thinking of breaking God's law. It speaks to the brokenness of our souls. We have this word, but yet we do not measure up to it. But somehow the lawyer thought that he did. He thought that he was upright and righteous because he held on to it. So Jesus challenges his motivation here and brings out further the intent of his heart. He's desiring to justify himself in front of the Lord of life, who can only give him life, who can only give us life as well. You know, J.R. was a friend of mine, and he was a man as well who stood upon the law of God. And J.R., he studied the scriptures. He really did diligently study God's word because he knew that this word had life for him. It gave him direction. He came from a household that was torn apart. And so he came down to the depth of who he is and realizing that I'm a sinner. I see this in myself. So he held on to the word of God and he began to try to live it out. He began to go toe-to-toe with people in, in scripture memory and through talking about God's word. He knew a lot. Needless to say, he became puffed up in his knowledge. Trading the intimacy for, with God with intimacy for his word because he thought that it was by the word that he could have life. It's only through God. So over time, J.R., continue to walk with God in that way, continue to talk to people about the scripture, and then boom, it happened. His father became ill. And J.R. was torn apart. Because, see, he had just began to get into a relationship with his father, who had abandoned him when he was a younger child. And his father began to waste away. And eventually, his, his father passed away. And so J.R. was stuck. Here he was with this deep grief, and yet the scriptures could not help him. The only question that he had was, God, where are you? Why did you let my father pass away? Why did you bring this pain in my life? Why did you do this, God? The very words that he held on to had the answers. Because the very words of God speaks to how he is merciful, speaks to how he grieves with those that grieve. But he couldn't let it go, and he decided to walk away from the faith altogether. Maybe some of you are here, you've come back into the church, and you're searching anew. And you're thinking, I I need something. I need to see God. I need to feel him. I want to know him. I moved away from the faith of my youth, but now I I want to be invigorated by what I know is true, but I can't access it. Maybe you're there in your life where you're turning back to God. Or maybe you're on the fence. 
thinking, I'm going to get to church one more try. I've been reading the word, but it seems dry to me. So I'm coming back. I'm, I'm staying right now, but I'm wrestling with God right now, which is not a bad place to be in, to wrestle with him. God, this is what your word says, but I don't feel it in my heart, down in my soul. Help me, Lord. And then others of you may just be swamped in legalism. Maybe you're like this lawyer who know a lot about God, but yet still there's something uh, about your life that speaks to being right. You win in arguments with your spouse. You win in arguments at work with your coworkers. You feel good when something is accomplished and you've given the right answer. You're puffed up with pride. And God means to humble you because he wants you to be intimate with him. So God has given us his word so that we can have love for one another. But sometimes we, we take that gift and we think that by doing all the right things, that will give us a relationship with God. Well, God word, God's word is something that we truly need, but his word doesn't point to us as being the saviors of our soul. His word points to Jesus as being the savior of our souls. He is the one who is the word of life who has died for our sins. He is the one that will grieve with us when we're down in the depths. And some of you may be going through some sadness now. Would you call on Jesus Call on him because all the scriptures, as the Bible says, point to Jesus. You can have an eternal life through him and not through yourselves. It's in Jesus and what he has done, how he has lived the word, and how he has accomplished a way to the Father for you being the way, the truth, and the life. It's in Jesus. And this is the amazing grace that God has put in our lives when we embrace Christ, when we respond to his love. And through that amazing grace, we're able to respond to God's word now through acts of neighborly love, because God wants to send us out to be a blessing, to be a flourishing to, with one another. So the acts of neighborly love is couched within this this uh, parable, this metaphor that Jesus gave us, sort of based on this real life situation of this man who is robbed. So we see here, Jesus replied, you know, he tells this story. He gives us three scenes right here in light of the acts of neighborly love. The first two scenes are about someone who is hurt, the second scene is about someone who is hung out to dry. And the third scene is about someone who is helped. So the first scene here, we have a man who is hurt. Jesus replied to the lawyer who asked the question, who is my neighbor? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And so we see here that this man is, tra is traveling down a very dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho, this desert, rocky country, 
very suitable for someone who's bent on evil intent, who wanted to rob others. At night, very dark and dangerous. During the day as well, if you travel alone. So people usually try to travel together down this road. And so we see this man who was taken advantage of here, stripped of everything that he owned. Someone just took everything that he had. They didn't just strip him. They decided to beat him. Why go to that extent to beat someone when you have disempowered them and taken all that they have? And of course, you just want to leave them. You want to depart from them because there's a hardness of your soul that says, I do not care about my fellow man in situations like this. I don't care what happens to you. I'm going to leave you half dead. So this man is deeply hurt. Second scene we see here. He is hung out to dry. He's discarded. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and, and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So here in this story, Jesus brings in the priest and the Levite, the people who, who, who are to take care of the people of God, who are to show mercy during the day. But they too was focused, too focused upon scripture that instructs them not to touch a dead body not to go near something that is unclean. So they were hanging on to the law as well and not living out the spirit of the law. So they passed by this man, people who were known to, to, to know the word of God and people who looked at as knowing God himself did not extend an act of mercy towards this man on the road, but instead move past him. They should have known their testimony that God gave them, the God who saved them from a yoke of slavery in Egypt, the God who led them through the desert and brought them to himself to declare that he is a true God who loves them. That's God's grace for them. The God who gave them the Ten Commandments, which is summed up in the verses we read prior. Loving God and loving your neighbor. God gave them ordinances and statutes of how to treat strangers in the land, how to treat those who were downtrodden. And yet they passed by this man upright in their own eyes, and they passed by him, left him hung out to dry. The third scene we see here is one who was helped. But going right back to this second scene, someone being hung out to dry, I'm reminded right now of someone who came into our church recently. You know, I was downstairs in our fellowship hall uh, with some other uh, members there. And in our fellowship hall, you can walk up this, a few steps to go into a foyer area, and then there's a door that let, lets out to the street. And so my friend and I, we, we were walking up the steps, and the bathroom is to the left of us here, and we were walking up the steps, and we both smelled the same thing. It was a stench. It smelled like something that was coming from the bathroom. 
And we both made comment of it. It's like, we need to get some air freshener here or something because it's not supposed to smell like this in this area. We walked up the steps, and as soon as we turned the corner, there was a gentleman there. A gentleman who looked like he needed a change of clothes. And he was talking to some other members there, and they were trying to help him out because he walked in from the street asking for a change of clothes. And as soon as we turned the corner, I guess he heard us speaking. He said, oh, yeah, it's me. You know, I, I saw it in my, pan- I saw it in my pants, and so I'm, I'm here asking if you guys have any clothes so that I can change, if you have something. One of our members said, well, can I pray for you? And he said, no, I, I don't need prayer. I, I just need a change of clothes. And, and, uh, and we asked him, well, can we get you something to eat or something to drink? And again, he said, no, I don't, I don't need that. I, I just want new pants to wear because I soiled my clothes. That's all I need. And so in that situation, what will you have done? Because I can tell you that that day, you know, a third person came and said, well, there's this, this shelter that gives away clothes and they have a lot of clothes there. You can go there. He said, I've gone there. And what about this other place? I've gone there. He had gone to all these places. But the question in my heart that day after he left, the question came to my heart, what could you have done? This guy did not have anything except the clothes on him and, the, and whatever he had in his bag. And he was asking for something very specific, a pair of pants. I mean, we could have done something. I could have taken off my pants and just wore my boxes home or something. To what extent will we go to help people? Right? Even if it's not decent and in order. He was asking for something very specific. And we kept giving other answers. What about this? What about this? And so he walked away from us. I I don't know what happened to him, but he went away. And in some respects, I looked at that as a learning curve of what we could have done differently next time. And also I looked at it as, God, was that a loss, you know, a loss of opportunity to extend mercy right here, right now to someone? God is still teaching us. The third scene that we have here is someone who has helped. Jesus shares, but a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bound up, bound up his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own donkey, or some versions say donkey, own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. 
So I think I got the last verse there twice on my paper. So, <laughs> but we see here an unlikely candidate in the story. Why? Because the, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. And some of you may have known that already. They just, there was so much animosity between the two groups that when Jesus decided to ask for water from a Samaritan woman, she was shocked. It's like, you a Jew? You asked me for water? A Samaritan? He was merciful towards her. And even the Jews looked down upon the Samaritans, saying things like they were dogs or next to swine. They were not people almost in their eyes. And yet here's Jesus saying, this one has shown mercy to the fullest extent, more than those who had the law and who was upright, more than those who were known for taking care of people. This guy, look at these concrete, compassionate actions. He comes to him. He sees him. He's a person. This guy who's, who's beaten and left for dead. And then the Samaritan binds up his, his wounds with whatever he had. Maybe he used some of his clothing. He anoints the cuts with oil and wine, which was expensive during that day. Here he is spending money for this guy. He loads him on his own animal. He takes him to a place to stay and pays for it. And then says, if there's more to be added to the tab, I'll pay for that too. Look at this extent he's going. He provides care and comfort to this man that he just met. He just met him. He lavishes on the compassion and kindness in which he cared for him as if this is his own child. He nursed him to health. He, was, he became his doctor in a sense. He became his friend. He was his neighbor. So Jesus here is showing us that this is the extent of mercy. This is the extent of love. This is the extent that we care for somebody who is suffering and who has less than we have. You know, the poor comes to mind, right? Because we, we need to care for them. They're, they are poor in many different ways, materialistically, financially, but maybe poor in the mind with schizophrenia. And there are those in our family who may be spiritually poor. How do we treat them even who do not know God? Because sometimes I treat my family members as if they do know God and they're sinners. They haven't embraced Jesus. And God says some people don't know their right from their left. Well, where will we get the compassion to care for them? Where will we slow down to care for them? And lastly, and quickly here, I know time is escaping us right now. I just want just to look at the Lord of neighborly love. Jesus asked this man, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Jesus changed the question around 
instead of who is my neighbor, what type of neighbor will you be? What type of mercy will you extend? That's what God is looking for. God is looking to you, not someone who is serving you. God is looking to you to extend this mercy, to go and be like a Samaritan. Imagine the, the, the cognitive dissonance happening, you know, the ambivalence in this moment. You know, because he's declaring that Jesus, yeah, he's right, the one who showed him mercy, but he's a Samaritan. Now, I'm to be like a Samaritan? No. You're to be like God. Because this Samaritan is being like God. You're to be like God who extends the greatest mercy to us. And where do we see this? Where do we see this? In the greatest demonstration of love known to man. Because there's Jesus who came down from heaven, sent by the Father to live the life that we could not live. There is Jesus keeping the entire law, fulfilling all of it that we could not fulfill. There is Jesus healing in the synagogue, healing on the road, healing people that are not like him because he was sent by God and doing things that we could not do. And there is Jesus be in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me, this cup of wrath. For, the, for mankind, let it pass from me. And Jesus receives his answer, doesn't he? No mercy. You will receive no mercy, Jesus. You will go to that cross. You will go before Pilate. You will receive no mercy when you get the 40 lashes minus one. You receive no mercy from those who will spit on you. No mercy for those who taunt you saying, you claim to be the son of God, you claim to be God, bring yourself down from that cross. No mercy. No mercy from the Father. No mercy. Because it says in Isaiah that it was God's will to crush his only son. So no mercy to the one who was sinless, but yet became sin for you and for me. And on the cross, you can hear them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Remain merciful, even to his enemies. How are you towards your enemies? Do you have mercy for those who are unlike you and who rub you the wrong way? Do you have mercy for those who have hurt you? Do you have forgiveness in your soul towards them? Has Jesus taught you how to confess that? and lay that down before him. Because the Father showed Jesus no mercy so that he can show us mercy. Jesus died in our place, and yet the grave could not hold him. He rose from the grave, showing, showing that victory was in him. And so those who are in Christ, we are the one that can live out the law of God by the help of the Spirit. We're the one who can do the greatest acts of mercy in the spirit. We're the ones who live unto the Lord of mercy, who is Jesus. You know, when Anna was on the ground, 
one of the boys, he looked upon her and he felt sadness in his heart. And he decided to go and get help for her. And he got help for her. And of course, he was convicted of the crime and sent to prison. The most astonishing thing happened. He began to write to her when he was in prison. And through over a course of time of interacting with her, he became a believer. God saved him through her witness of God because she was a Christian. And then time passed by. He, he, he served his time and got out of prison. And he continued to spend time with Anna. And then he went to her father, who was a Christian as well, loving man. And he asked her father if he could marry his daughter. And his father said, yes. They got married. And they end up having three kids together. They made a life together with one another. And don't you know that John has to look in Anna's face every day and be reminded of what he did to her? There's not a day that goes past where he doesn't, that day that doesn't go past where he remembers that. And so you see, he is reminded of the brokenness, even through her flail arm that hangs there still to this day. He's reminded of the brokenness. But you know what else he's reminded of? He reminded of the kindness of God, the mercy of God, through bringing him into the family of God. He was reminded of forgiveness and redemption that is in Christ. And we are too who are in Christ. We have to remember that, yes, God has given us his word, but yet to keep it in the spirit based on the merits of Christ and not on our own merits, and that we can extend acts of mercy to those in this city, that we can turn this city upside down and bring great blessing and flourishing. And we're doing that through different ministries here. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to continue to do it. And also, most importantly, we have to yield to our Lord, who is our true neighbor. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for giving us time, and Lord, time to consider how to be the neighbor that you've called us to be, because you've given us your spirit. Thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.